Okay, so with that, let us proceed in the exposition of the book of Romans. We are in chapter 11, making our way through a section in which the Apostle Paul is emphasizing to the Gentiles <coughs> what their attitude should be and that they should be humble to the fact that they have been grafted in. So if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. We are in Romans 11, verses 16 through 20. The infallible word of God reads as follows. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that your Holy Spirit has drawn us, that your Holy Spirit has enabled us to be grafted in as us here are Gentiles, Lord. Thank you for giving us that faith to trust in Christ. We pray that this morning you would be ever more grateful, that we would be ever more grateful to you for the gift of salvation. So Lord, give us a heart of humility as we study your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So today's sermon is titled, A Word to the Gentiles, Part 2. I think there's going to be one more, which will finish covering this phase of, of the text that Paul is addressing the, the Gentiles specifically. A potential subtitle that would fit this section is the following. To the Gentiles, not only listen up, this is for you, but specifically know who sustains you and be humble to that fact. We've been delving into this section, the book of Romans, in which Paul is explaining why the Jewish people were outside of the kingdom of God. The last sermon, we saw that although Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles, he was also very burdened to reach his fellow Jewish people. And he began to address the Gentiles in this passage, letting them know not only that he was following the commandment of the Lord Jesus himself, to be a minister to the Gentiles, but also that in ministry to the Gentiles, the Jewish people would realize that their rejection of the Messiah had made a pathway for the Gentiles. And Paul's purpose there was, hey, Gentiles, remember the oracles of God? Remember the prophets of God? Remember the promises that God gave you? Well, somebody has come and eaten your lunch. Wake up. And Paul was trying to incite a godly type of jealousy that would turn the Jewish people back to God and embrace the Messiah. So that's the context of this passage. Today, Paul continues this parenthesis, if you will, in addressing the Gentiles specifically. 
This is essentially a call to the Gentiles to avoid the sin that has ensnared the Jewish people. That is, the sin of pride. If you recall, the Israelite religious folks, we were told that they had a zeal for God, but it was according to human merit and human knowledge, not according to the wisdom of God. Paul has told the Jewish people that although they were devout and sought to be right before God, they went about it the wrong way, trying to establish their own righteousness and not submitting to the righteousness of God. Now, to the Gentiles, Paul is now turning and saying, just like the Jewish people were proud, Gentiles, beware, because you can also become proud and have the attitude of saying, hey, we thank God we're not like the Jewish people, right? Like the parable that Jesus said of the Pharisee and the publican. In both instances, the Jewish people that were so proud thinking they could gain God's favor on their own, and in the warning that Paul is giving to the Gentiles that they could fall into pride thinking that they were better than the Jewish people, both could exert pride attitude, prideful attitude that is a sin before God. Okay? So what can we see then as Paul's main takeaway for this text? I would say this. Paul's main point is this in this four verses or five verses we're looking at today. He's telling the Gentiles, remember Gentiles, you were grafted in because of God's grace and not because of anything that you are or that you did. Now to graft in means the following. To detach a branch from the original tree and to attach it to a better tree so as to grow together with it. Okay, that's what we're talking about. That's the, the imagery that Paul is giving. As Paul is Given this imagery, Paul uses the example of a robust olive tree that gives great fruit compared to a worthless, non-fruit-bearing, wild olive tree. In biblical times and in biblical texts, the olive tree that is healthy and nourishing and flowing, it is a symbol of God's blessing. It is a symbol of prosperity that comes from God and not necessarily financially although it was but ultimately of spiritual well-being before God so Paul's audience is very familiar with the concept of a nourished healthy olive tree today we're going to answer three questions first we're going to see what does it mean to be holy We'll see that in verse 16, because that's where Paul begins this analogy of a part being holy. Therefore, the whole part is holy, right? Both in the dough and the first fruit offerings and also in the tree. If the root is holy, then the whole tree, if the root is holy, then the whole tree is holy. What does that mean? Secondly, we're going to answer, what's the deal with the olive trees and the branches of those olive trees that are mentioned in this text? And thirdly. What should the attitude of the Gentiles be given those truths? All right. So what does it mean to be holy? Verse 16 reads as follows. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. 
In order to understand the analogy of a healthy fat olive tree compared to the wimpy, unhealthy olive tree, we needed to go back one verse. If you remember last week, I finished on that verse. And this is where Paul begins his imagery of this concept, which is if part of an organism is holy, the entire organism is also holy. That's the concept that we're looking at here. So we're going to answer the following. If part of Israel is holy, is the entire nation of Israel holy? Think about that. In many circles, we are taught that because Jesus came from the Israelites, that therefore the whole nation of Israel is holy. In order to answer that, we need to be wise and ask, what does it mean to be holy? And as we will see, to that question, is the entire nation of Israel holy? The answer is, it depends what we mean by holy. Hagios, holy there, the word is used. It means to be set apart for a particular purpose. And it also means moral uprightness, purity. The ultimate sense then in which the word holiness or to be holy applies to the fullest extent is when we consider the holiness of God. God is both absolutely set apart. There is no human category to accurately reflect his moral purity, his justice, his goodness, his mercy, his omnipotence, and all of his perfect attributes. Our triune God then is set apart. He is alone, holy, pure, and perfect in all of his ways. God is so holy, in fact, that we are told in the scriptures that angelic beings in heaven who have never sinned cover themselves at his presence because they cannot dare to even imply lack of reverence before God, before their creator, God Almighty. In Isaiah's vision, when King Uzziah died, this is what the prophet describes. Isaiah 6, verses 2 and 3, it says, Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. My brothers and sisters, if that's the attitude of angelic beings who have never sinned, what should be your attitude before a holy God? We can quickly begin to realize that perhaps we don't have the reverence that we do towards God, towards his word, towards his church. So then that's the ultimate sense in which holiness can be expressed. The holiness of God. He stands alone as holy. He's so righteous that there's no category for him in human terms that could describe him accurately. Now, Christians, we are told, are also holy. We are set apart to live for and die for the glory of God. Paul actually opened up the book of Romans with such claim. Romans 1.1. 1, 1. 
Paul introduces himself. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. You see that? Christians then are called to live a life set apart, not like the rest of the world who lives only after their own desires without any regard for the God who created them. Okay? An example of being holy. Now, there's another way in which something can also be holy. But it means something different. The example I grabbed is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. This is teaching about marriage. It says the following. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But, as it is, they are holy. In this second sense of what it means to be holy, then, we see that somebody can be set apart, but not in a morally upright way. That is, the Apostle Paul is teaching there, this is the same author, 1 Corinthians, right? Apostle Paul is teaching that there's a marriage. Let's say both of them are unbelievers. One of the spouse, the husband or the wife, becomes an unbeliever. It is said, stay together. Do not separate. What God has joined, let no man separate. And in doing so, Paul is saying that the unbelieving spouse is considered holy. Now, we know for a fact that this cannot mean that that person is saved. See that? But it does mean that because they are part of a spouse with an unbelieving uh, husband or wife, that because there is one who is righteous before God, the other one is set apart, and the other one can partake of the blessings that come in a Christian home, as well as the children. Okay? Now, why did I just go through all this? It is very important we realize that when Israel is set to be put apart, set apart as a nation, yes, Israel is holy. But we know for a fact, as Paul has been telling us, that all of Israel is not morally righteous before God. So what is the punchline here then? This section that we are about to delve into does not mean that the Jewish people as a nation have a special way to be right with God. Yes, they are set apart in the sense that they are the people God chose to bring the prophets, the scriptures, and ultimately Messiah, Jesus. But as a nation, they have no additional perks. Zero. And unless they repent and believe in Christ, they will perish. There is no future special set aside for Israel. Like they're they're going to have a, a backdoor entrance, if you will. There's no such thing. The nation of Israel that believes, those within Israel that are the true Israel that are called and believe in Christ will be saved the same way that Abraham was saved. And we are told that Abraham was justified by faith. There's only one way to be justified, by faith. All right. So that's in a way of an introduction to see what is holy. What does that mean? Is the whole nation of Israel holy? Well, yes, but no. Okay. Track with me now. 
Second question, what of the olive trees and what about those branches? What, what does this all mean? Let's look at verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now sharing the nourishing root of the olive tree, right, that's the beginning of the proposition you'll go into. We'll stop right there. I have two main observations about this. First, that there are two olive trees, one that is uncared for, unfruitful. It is a wild olive tree, and the other one that is a well-nourished, fruit-giving olive tree that is just flowing with all this life. The second observation will be that each of those trees has branches, and those branches are cut off. There are branches from the wild olive tree that are cut and are grafted in into the good olive tree. Okay, those are the two main observations. So let's take a, a dive into each of those real quick. Going back to the first observation then. Two olive trees, one good, one not so good. The easy question first, who represents the wild olive tree? That is actually easy. Paul tells us. These are clearly the Gentiles. They are specifically called out in this verse when Paul says, and you, although a wild olive shoot. Okay. So the Gentiles. That's us. Second question gets a little bit trickier. It says, who represents the nourished olive tree? One view that is very prevalent in our day especially is that the nourished tree represents the nation of Israel as a whole. Right? We just went through that. Remember, we spoke a minute ago how there are two senses in which someone can be holy. So yes, in that way, they are set apart. That is true. But it does not mean that the whole nation of Israel is the entire tree. Now, why not? Well, the nation of Israel was and is rebelling against God and is spiritually dead. Can the dead mean unbelieving Israel? Can they nourish the dead? That is the Gentiles? No, right? So who can nourish? Who then are those who are spiritually alive that can better fit the description of being this healthy, nourished, fat olive tree? Well, those who are holy in both senses. That is, they are part of Israel, yes. And they are the remnant, the chosen within Israel that are been have been faithful to the call of God to have faith in Christ. There was a remnant of the Jewish people who fit that category, but it wasn't because they were Jews. Rather, it was because of their faith. They were faithful in the call to trust Messiah. Now, how do we know this? Let's go back to Romans 9, verses 6 and 8. Read the following. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descendants from Israel belong to Israel. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. See that? We can see now how not all Israel is of Israel. There's a remnant. And those that are grafted in there are those that are children of the faith. That's where we are grafted in. Let us take a quick look at Galatians 3.29. It says the following. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. 
to a religious Jewish person reading this, being told this, that is insanity. Remember the Jewish people boasted to Jesus, telling him, we are sons of Abraham. Like, who is your father? Remember that? They were very proud. Imagine somebody comes, and Jesus actually told them wars. They told them that they were sons of Satan. But imagine somebody coming and saying, actually, you are not descendants of uh, real children of Abraham. Me, as a Gentile, I am a true child of Abraham. They would have thought I was insane. Probably been stoned for this level of blasphemy, if you will. Okay? So who represents the nourished olive tree? I will propose to you that the olive tree Paul is talking about is and has been the people of God. Okay? A little more about that in, in a second. Observation number two. What are the branches? Right? We saw the trees. What about the branches? The branches that were cut off from the good olive tree were removed for a specific reason. Their unbelief. I will quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones when he comments on this passage. And I do have the, the quote here, so let's, let's put it up on the screen. It says this. Now then, what is the apostles' teaching? We can put it like this. The unbelieving Jews, though they are Abraham's seed, and though, in a sense, they are natural branches upon this olive tree, are cut off because of their unbelief and do not really belong to the olive tree. But on the other hand, he says, the believing Gentiles are grafted in. They have come from the outside. They did not belong to the nation of Israel, and therefore, in a sense, you can call them a wild olive tree. But the only point of importance is that they do not belong to the visible nation of Israel. But, says the apostle, because they have believed, they have been brought in and grafted in. They have not grafted into the Jewish physical nation, but into the people of God, the true spiritual Israel. Now, that is the point. And that is why I say you must insist upon saying that the olive tree is the people of God. Unquote. The emphasis there is mine on the square brackets, given that I read the entire commentary on the section. So now, how can this apply to us, other than realizing that a, a better case can be made that the good olive tree that is nourishing, that is just flowing with life, that is the people of God. What else can we see there, aside from that? Well, my brothers and sisters, the application here is for the church. There is a visible church, and there is an invisible church. When a minister, like myself, addresses those that are congregants here that have made a profession of faith, my assumption is that you are believers. But the reality is, and as the bigger the church gets, the local church gets, the greater the possibility that some congregants are actually not true believers. Right. So this is relating to the nation of Israel. Huge, lots of people, but within there, only a remnant is true Israel. Same thing with the church. Those that profess faith in Christ, it's a large crowd. But God knows, that is the invisible church, God knows who are the true believers. Those that are born again, those that have been granted repentance by God. 
So then the key to remember here, God has always had one people. No such thing as God having different people like the Jewish folks with a certain treatment and then the Gentiles with a different treatment. No. Remember that Paul has told us in the book of Romans that God shows no partiality. So then God had people in the Old Testament, those that trusted and believed his promises by faith, looking forward to Messiah. And God has a continuation of those same people in the New Testament era. Those that embraced Messiah when he was sent. Now, in fact, did you know that in the Old Testament, there was such a thing as those that are set apart? The Ecclesia, translated in Septuagint. Stephen, when he was addressing the Jewish religious folks before he got stoned to death, as part of his speech, Stephen mentioned and referred to God's people in the Old Testament in the time of Moses as, quote, the congregation in the wilderness. The word there for the congregation in the wilderness to describe the people of God in the Old Testament is that same word, ecclesia. So the people of God have always existed as one people. Old Testament and now the New Testament is the same people. The people of God who are saved by grace through faith. So then, to summarize the final point here of our second header, or our second question, I put it a little summary together here. First, what about the olive trees and the branches? Well, the nourished olive tree then is the people of God. Secondly, the branches that are broken off are unbelieving Israel. And thirdly, the branches that are being grafted in are the believing Gentiles. See, very important. Unbelieving Israel is cut off. Equally important, only the believing Gentiles are grafted in. The unbelieving Gentiles are not grafted in. Okay? It's very exclusive. All right, so third question. Given that the Gentiles are being grafted into a tree they did not belong, what should the attitude be of those Gentiles? Verses 18 through 20, it says, Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. Then you will say, Branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. Okay? So Paul is coming around and wrapping this small section by exhorting the Gentiles to not fall into pride. Given that they have been shown grace, God the Holy Spirit has given them the understanding of the things of God, to which they were blind before and ignorant of. They have been adopted into God's family through faith in Christ. But in the sinful hearts of the human being, we can quickly forget that all that done for the Gentiles was done with them not deserving it and can start taking credit for their righteousness. Remember that the scripture tells us that we have a righteousness that is not our own. Okay? That is a recognition, that is a confession of the true Christian. Are we righteous? Absolutely. Are we holy before God? Absolutely. Why so? Because we are covered 
with a righteousness that is not our own. Now, can a branch cut itself off? And can a branch graft itself? The answer is no. Let us take a look at John 15, verses 1 and 2. Lord Jesus speaking, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Jesus says, gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So that's reinforcing the concept that God is the one doing this work. There's no such thing as any of us being prideful or arrogant to say, hey, look at me, I made it. No, my brothers and sisters. There was a vine dresser who made that happen, going against all odds, took you from the wild olive tree and grafted you in into the tree of life, the true Israel. So Paul says, do not be arrogant toward the branches. The first way that the Gentiles can look at this is, do not be arrogant towards the branches that are cut off. That's the most obvious. The second way a Gentile can look at this is, do not be arrogant toward the branches that remain attached to the wild tree. And the third way would be, do not be arrogant toward the branches that are within the nourished tree. Translation, do not be arrogant neither toward the unbelieving Jews, nor the unbelieving Gentiles, nor toward the believing Jews. See that? There's no room for boasting. Now the root is, who is it that sustains God's people? Who is the root? Here is where I would accept the claim that the root that nourishes, that gives life to this true olive tree, true Israel, is none other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isaiah eleven twenty reads as follows. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. This is a figurative prophetic verse that talks about Jesus, our Messiah. Jesus, God in human flesh, is descended from the line of Jesse and his son David. So then the Gentiles, in their arrogance, could claim... As Paul puts it here, the Jews, those branches were broken off so that I may be grafted in. In response to that, Paul essentially says to the Gentile with such attitude, your statement is true, but not exactly for the reason you think. In other words, were branches broken off? Yep, you're right about that. Were the Gentiles grafted in? Yes. And the Jewish branches were broken off because the Gentiles were superior in some way. Wrong. The branches were broken off because of unbelief. Unbelief is natural to every person. It is our default position. We are born in rebellion and unbelief towards the things of God. The Gentiles were grafted in because of faith. Faith, genuine faith in Christ is unnatural. To everyone. True faith is a gift from God. 
And what was that faith given then to the Gentiles? Because God was gracious to them. God granted them that faith. God gave them the gift of salvation because he is gracious. That is, God shows kindness to the undeserving. Okay? So the branches were broken off, yes. Why? Because we're better and we come as to know. Actually, you were worse than them. You were over there dying. And because God showed grace, that's the reason why they were grafted in, not because they were any better. So the warning then to the Gentiles can be summarized as to not be proud, but fear. That word fear there is to have extreme reverence and respect, not to offend such situation in which a king has invited you to his palace after you were trying to rob him. And he has shown you so much grace and favor instead of executing you on the spot. If that king lets you in into his palace, the attitude that that bandit would have would be one of extreme reverence and respect. Now, if the Gentiles remain in their pride and don't repent, it can only mean one thing, that the faith they claim to have is false. And that what seems to be an attachment to that olive tree is artificial. And hence, they are not attached to the true olive tree because they think that they have been grafted because of their own merit. In the long run, that pride will reveal that it was a false conversion. And pride, especially spiritual pride, is a sign that a person is trusting in themselves for their salvation. In which the Gentiles then would have fallen in the same trap as the unbelieving Jews. Thinking that through their merit, through their works, they could gain a right standing with God. Okay, so then what can we take away as final applications for us? Although we've given a couple already. I have two for today. One is the following question. Right, we built the headers with questions this time. So we'll close with two questions. One, are you a branch of God's olive tree? Because you're a branch, according to this analogy, then you're either standing in a wild olive tree or you are part of God's olive tree. There's no middle ground here. Remember that you must be grafted in. You are not born being part of God's people. You have to be grafted in. And this is a call for us to remember that if we are grafted in, it is only because of God's grace toward us, not because we deserved it. Second question, are you proud of how good you are? It's a trick question, right? Are you proud of how good you are? And if we are honest with ourselves, the answer is yes. I am proud of how good I am. And that must be broken down. For the Christian, are you proud of yourself and look down to those that are outside the faith? If we are honest with ourselves, we can catch ourselves with such attitude. And my brothers, that should not be. Remember, Paul was grieved that his fellow Jewish people were outside of Christ. And he said, he was so grieved that he said, if it were possible, I would trade places with him. I would be condemned so that they would gain salvation. See? Do we have that attitude towards unbelievers? 
or we look down at them because we think we're superior. That's deep, my brothers, my sisters. It shouldn't be. Pray for those who are outside of God's kingdom. Witness, serve them, love them, and yet stand firm in the truth of the gospel. Do not compromise. And for the non-Christians, are you proud of yourself and think you're, you don't need God? Well, you are cut off from the true olive tree. Repent and be grafted in. Not because you're a good person, but because you're a sinner. Maybe not as bad as I'm a sinner, but you're still a sinner. And you need repentance and trust in Christ. Let us rejoice in the fact that if we are here today, we have a chance to repent. God has given us another day as Christians to be grateful, to not be proud of our salvation, and to mourn, to have the grief that Paul has for his Jewish people. And if you're not a believer, know that God is yet extending grace to you, even though he doesn't owe you anything. And in that, let us ponder and turn to Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you knowing that you are a God who is faithful to keep his promises, that all those that are your people will come. And yet you use your word, you use the exposition of your word to call those people to repentance. So we thank you for that, Lord. May your Holy Spirit draw us to you. May you convict us of sin. And may you be glorified as we come to you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.